The views in this do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Good afternoon, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. It's Wednesday, November 25th, and on behalf of the EOT team here at WKNC, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I'm Ian Grice, bringing you the Eye on the Triangle at a new time on a new day. This is the second show on Wednesday afternoon, and it's the Thanksgiving show. For all you listening for the first time, Eye on the Triangle is WKNC's weekly public affairs programming with news, interviews, opinion, weather, sports, arts, music, events, and issues that matter to NCSU, Raleigh, and the Triangle community. This week, Nick Weaver brings you the Modest Mouth Review. He reviews the album Atlas by Real Estate. And Nick Weaver brings you this you Snowverated. This week, he reviews the 1987 film Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, starring Steve Martin. Saif Fazan has the news beyond the headlines, where he gives us an update on the Paris terrorist attacks, as well as an interesting outcome of the winning in Zimbabwe annual Mr. Ugly contest. In the Poetry Corner, Nikita Chatanlupani brings us a second of a two-part series with author, translator, and poet John Balbon. He reads two poems centering on themes of family and connection. Along in the spirit of Thanksgiving, we visited the Hall River Ranch in Garner, and Mirtha Donastorg tells us what farm-to-table really means for your Thanksgiving turkey. As always, Peter Spazzini has the community calendar. Sama Anmafrachi is 26 and lives in Durham with her family. Volunteers at a church daycare while moms are in Bible study, when she's not working as a translator at a local nonprofit. Amafrachi is also an Iraqi refugee. She's lived in the U.S. for four years and two months. She makes sure to be precise, having left sectarian strife and violence when she was just 15. I was born and raised in Baghdad, Iraq. We lived back in 2004. Before 2004, even, the situation was like very dangerous there. A lot of my members from my family was killed, like my uncle was killed by a car bomb, and my two cousins killed because the faith different. My dad was kidnapped in there. So it was like very, very difficult situation to live there. So we decided to travel to Jordan. A national debate over safety and resettlement has been going on since the Paris attacks. Governor McCrory and other leaders in the state don't want any Syrian refugees sent to North Carolina. Not until they know more about the vetting process for resettlement. Mitch Kokai is senior political analyst for the John Locke Foundation, a conservative think tank. People want to see the United States and want to see North Carolina be welcoming to refugees. Where there's concern is if you're not certain about that vetting process, especially in our current climate when ISIS has said that they're going to infiltrate the refugee process to put people in the United States. According to the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, the refugee vetting process involves security screenings, background checks, and biometric checks. It can take between 18 to 24 months or longer. Almost like six years just to agree about you and to do all the background checking. It starts with the U.N., Refugees register for resettlement in their country of residence at the time. For Almafrachi, that was in Jordan. We decided to come to USA and go to UN to do the processing from there. After registering, there's an interview with the UN, and then they decide if you fit the criteria of a refugee. From there, they refer you to the United States or not. At that point, the State Department comes in. 
conducts interviews and three separate background checks. Is questions about your life and your story and why did you leave your country and what the reason for that? A question about why you want to go to USA and checking backgrounds about your security. There's fingerprint screenings, more interviews, and then matching with a nonprofit resettlement agency. They are waiting at the airport when the refugee arrives. They organize shelter, employment, English classes, all the aspects of setting up a new life in the U.S. Adam Clark is the director of World Relief Durham, the agency that resettled Al Mafrachi. Coming to the United States, you're on the path of most resistance to get into this country. For Clark, there's not just a humanitarian incentive for accepting refugees. Even on top of that, there was a good study done in Cleveland in 2012. They looked at the economic impact of refugees on the city of Cleveland just in one year. Essentially, it cost $4.8 million for that city just in that year to support refugees. So that was food stamps or whatever kind of uh, temporary assistance they were accessing, as well as the kind of refugee cash assistance. I mentioned that the state was administering things like that. In that same year, 2012, the economic benefit of those refugees through tax revenue, through their higher than average entrepreneurial rates, through the demand that they created in the local economy, they brought in $48 million worth of value to that city. So to everyone who says refugees are here to weaken our economy and, and steal our jobs, the study actually shows that they created a few more jobs and stimulated the economy and brought $48 million just in one year to that city. Balancing being safe, informed, and welcoming is at the core of the debate, a balance that hasn't quite been struck yet. When asked what the North Carolina government knows about refugees being resettled in the state, Clark admits he's unsure. I would love to know. I would love to know how those conversations go and what is shared and what isn't. What is certain is that Al-Mafrachi is a part of the Bull City community. She wouldn't go back to Iraq even if the situation were safe for her and her family. That will be very difficult for me because I have all this like bad memories about living there. I have like my goals here. I have my family, my work, my community, my like, everything. All my life is here. So thanks God. <laughs> I love North Carolina. <laughs> and in just seven months, she'll start another long process, becoming a U.S. citizen. In Durham, I'm Mirtha Donastorg. That was Mirtha Donastorg with her story about the refugee vetting process. That comes in the wake of the Paris attacks, fear and concern over Syrian and Iraqi refugees. Thirty governors, including Pat McCrory, have called for President Obama to stop sending Syrians to their states, saying that they don't know enough about this vetting process. This is your news beyond the headlines. Belgian police have charged a fourth suspect with terrorism offenses related to the deadly attacks on Paris, the federal prosecutor has said. The unnamed man was one of 16 people arrested in raids on Sunday. The rest have been released without charge. Belgian Prime Minister Charles Michel said he would maintain the highest security threat level in Brussels, warning of an imminent threat. But the authorities plan to reopen schools and the metro on Wednesday. The coordinated assaults on Paris on November 13th left 130 people dead. A statement from the federal prosecutor's office said the man had been charged with participating in activities of a terrorist group and a terrorist attack. Of a further five people arrested on Monday morning, two have been released, while further inquiries are underway regarding the others, the prosecutor said. Mohammed Amri, 27, and Hamza Atou, 20, have already been charged with aiding Paris attack suspect Salah Abdeslam, 
who remains at large. A third unnamed suspect has also been charged. In a separate development, French police said an object that appeared to be an explosive spout was found in a bin in the Paris suburb of Montrouge on Monday. The item is being examined. Cell phone data suggests that Salah Abdeslam, whose brother died in the attacks, was in that area on the night of the attack. Universities, schools, large stores, shopping centers, and the metro system were closed in Brussels on Monday as the highest security alert remained in place for a third day. Armed police patrolled the normally bustling streets of the capital. Announcing that the state of alert would remain at level 4 for another week, Mr. Michel stressed that we must all progressively get back to a normal life. The rest of Belgium remains on alert level 3, meaning an attack is seen as possible and credible. France has stepped up security in schools, imposing a series of measures including compulsory safety drills and banning parking outside school premises. Some of the crowd at Zimbabwe's annual Mr. Ugly contest have complained that the winner was not ugly enough. The runner-up and his supporters said Misson Serre's ugliness wasn't natural since it was based on missing teeth. Mr. Serre won $500 and plans to start a TV career. The organizer, David Machawa, says that models make money from their looks, so ugly people should have the same opportunity. Runner-up William Masvinu has won every previous year of the competition. He took home $100 this year. Mr. Masvinu told the BBC that winning the competition in previous years has brought him fame and a few minor marketing contracts. Now, Mr. Sayre is hoping for the same fame and fortune. He told the Associated Press that he already goes around schools performing and, as he put it, showcasing my ugliness. He sees winning the competition as a chance to make it onto television. He's not the only one hoping to make ugliness pay. The competition's organizer hopes that the Zimbabwean contest is just the start of it. He is planning to compete in Mr. Ugly World to be staged in Harar in 2017. I'm Saif Hassan, and this has been your News Beyond the Headlines. In the Poetry Corner, Nikita Chadaluhani brings us the second of a two-part series with author-translator and poet John Balbana. He reads two poems centering on the themes of family and connection. So today on Poetry Corner, we have the poet John Balaban with us again. Like I said last week, he studied English literature at Harvard with the Woodrow Wilson Fellowship and has published numerous collections and won numerous awards over the course of his career. He currently resides in North Carolina and teaches here at NC State. For this week's Thanksgiving theme program, Mr. Balaban will be reading a few of his poems that center kind of around the themes of family and connection. Thank you so much for being with us again, Mr. Balaban. Well, thank you. I believe the first poem for this week is entitled... For my sister in War Minister General Hospital, which is actually one of my favorites. <laughs> my sister was in the hospital years ago and was very ill, and I was worried about her. And since you have a program around Thanksgiving and you're interested in poems about family, I thought yeah, I'd yeah, perfect. read this one. For my sister in War Minister General Hospital, the two birds augured something strange. First, I saved the Blackpool warbler that piped twice as the cat pounced and clawed the slapping wings. No blood, but the bird couldn't fly. It pecked my warm hands, slept the night in a bamboo creel. When I took it out the next morning, it peeped before bounding to a hemlock. 
cocking its head at me, and then flew off to Argentina. Then the junco sitting by the door. I scooped it up, making my hands a nest. When I let it loose later in the day, it bobbed away in the little arcs that juncos make from bush to bush. Two birds in the same day, just exhausted. I've heard of whole migrations blown off course, looking for the Orkneys lost in the Atlantic, plummeting like hail onto a passing ship where they flopped, faltered, and died. All about, birds falling into swells. So these auguries were for you, my sister, asthmatic, gasping to flex your lungs for ten days, or so I learned tonight. When I was small and also could not breathe, you read me comics. Little Lulu and Scrooge McDuck were our favorites. You read or made them up while your skinny brother sat like a board in bed and wheezed in panic, widened in his eyes. But I rested and flew off. Thirty years later, you force your lungs for air. Consider whole flocks lost and blown into the sea. Consider the sailors looking from that deck, watching the waves engulf the keening birds. It makes no sense. It only happens. You be the bird that fell down exhausted, that rested and took off a bit later in the day. And this poem is called At 4 a.m. Asleep. At 4 a.m. Asleep, I want to shoot the jerk, whining his wheels on an ice patch, dragging me from sleep, even before sparrows screech the dawn up from crusted choirs of forsythia between houses somehow asleep. But maybe the jerk is a her, not a him. Some poor drudge who's finally had it after a long night of shouts and slaps. Maybe this suburb isn't the dead zone. Maybe others are awake, some old guy coughing, sitting up with arthritis, chain-smoking, or a mother leaning over a crib, stroking her child crackling with phlegm, or some man fishing in a toilet bowl as his wife sobs into her hands and he spoons up the blood clot, the embryo sac, to take to the doctor to see what went wrong. Thinking these things before falling back to sleep, I realized I was called out into a field of compassion, into a universe of billions of souls, and that was a messenger now driving away. Mm, I love that one. So how would you say the, these kind of poems sort of draw on your own experiences, both of like your family and growing up? How, how does your work sort of come out of Well, they do, of course. I mean, you write what affects you, and if you can... Do you think that you kind of like use poetry as a lens to sort of reinterpret and reanalyze life? It does that, and it also opens you up, as this poem suggests, to uh, other people, other people and their pains, other people and their miseries, right? You're, yeah. you're all socked into yourself. W.H. Auden, great English poet, talks uh, each in the cell of himself mm-hmm. in that wonderful poem, uh, Earth Receive an Honored Guest, yeah. William Yeats is Laid to Rest. And, you know, he talks about being locked up inside ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think poetry often comes maybe to somebody listening today, maybe not my poems, but maybe somebody else's. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a wake-up call, as it were. 
Would you say that your poetry changes or affects the way you see your current experiences, kind of the way you go through life now? Yeah, sure. I mean, I haven't written a poem in quite a while. I mean, my, uh, not that I ever was pouring out poetry, but <laughs> it seems to me a slow period. I think it has to do with getting older mm-hmm. and trying to figure out what's even worth talking about in the world that we live in, mm-hmm. especially given the last few days of misery uh, across the world. Yeah. It's a confusing place. Sort that out if you can, yeah. Mr. Poet, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a big job, isn't it? Big job. Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any plans for Thanksgiving? Our daughter is coming home, so my wife and I are real happy. Oh. Uh, we, she's in medical school. Medical school is a huge grind of studying and studying mm-hmm. and studying. Then comes the big test. <laughs> and then uh, last Thanksgiving, there was a test the day before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. They always uh, do that. Yeah, so she couldn't get away. But this time, uh, there was an opportunity, and she is coming home with her cat. Of course. Of course. Of course. You, you can't know. leave the cat alone. Right, right. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank I really you. really appreciated having you Good luck here. with your own trip on Thanksgiving. <laughs> thank you. I'll be in India, so no turkey for me, but (laughs) it'll be fun. It'll be great. Thank you so much. This is Jake Winters for Eye on the Triangle. This is Snow Verated, and this week I will be taking a look at planes, trains, and automobiles. This movie was honestly just fun to watch. This movie has been around for some time, and many, if not all of you, have already heard of, if not actually watched, planes, trains, and automobiles before. The reason I bring this movie up is that not only is it a great movie, but it does something great too. It highlights what this time of year is all about. As we get into the thick of this year's holiday season, it is always important, and maybe even cliche, though that might not be totally fair, to remember why we have holidays like this. It is to spend time with family. This movie is all about that in its own funny way. The movie is definitely a little heavy on the cheese, but I feel like there's just enough actual comedy and content in the movie to justify it. The movie isn't the only thing that backs it up, though. The time of the year is really what makes this movie enjoyable and fun to watch. The movie has done a great job of taking the formulaic approach and changing it up a bit, which might sound slightly contradictory, but I will explain. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is a great movie for many of the same reasons that Home Alone is a great movie. Both of these movies are centered on family values at their core, and they are very similar because of it. It wouldn't be hard to argue that they are both made out of the same formula, but apart from being formulaic, I still found this story very enjoyable. It doesn't have a thought-provoking message or hidden meaning to it, but instead it is simply just a story, and I really enjoyed this story. I thought it did a great job of pointing out the frustrations that everyone has and probably has had for the past few days while traveling during the holidays. Crowded airports, stupid car accidents, and jam-packed public transportation. It also does a great job of teaching some common but very important lessons. 
The character Del Griffith, played by John Candy, and Steve Martin's character do a great job of teaching lessons about how to treat your fellow man or woman, and they are repeated throughout the story. I'm not trying to say that this movie is revolutionary, but I do think that it does a good job of teaching lessons. Another great thing about the movie is its comedy. Usually I do not find this kind of forced comedy that comes in these normal guy movies funny, but somehow or another this one made me laugh quite a bit. The thing that made it funny for me is the visual gags. The visual gags were hilariously creative and they always caught me off guard. Planes, trains, and automobiles reminded me very much of the style of the movie Airplane, which is essentially just a movie full of visual comedy. This movie all around was really just enjoyable. It had a pretty good story, pretty funny comedy, and actually enjoyable characters. With Thanksgiving coming up tomorrow, I think it is a great time to watch this movie. It is a family-friendly comedy, and if you are looking for a bit of a throwback, I'd say it would be a perfect way to spend some time with your family. It reinforces good nature towards other people, and it really enforces the spirit of the holiday season. It may not be the greatest movie or even comedy ever made, but it fits the season perfectly and does the holiday season justice. This movie is available on Netflix and a variety of other online forms. Thank you for tuning into this week's movie review. Feel free to send any suggestions or comments to the email address publicaffairs at wknc.org. I'm always glad to hear feedback and opinions. I just wanted to take a second to wish all the listeners a happy holiday, and I hope everyone enjoys having time around their families, even if they can be annoying sometimes. Thank you for tuning into Snow Verated. This is Jake Winters for Eye on the Triangle. Have a good night and a good holiday season. Welcome once again to the Modest Mouth Review with me, Nick Weaver of Eye on the Triangle. This week I'll be reviewing an album that was suggested by a friend of mine called Atlas by Real Estate. That's the album name, not the friend name. The friend is Tyler. Hi, Tyler. Anyways, this album review is going to be kind of short, so I apologize in advance for that, but you'll see why in a bit. The genre for this band is smooth, relaxed indie rock. I hesitate to add the rock part, but the guitar work on this album is just rocky enough that I'm fine with calling it that. So, who are real estate, or would it be who is real estate? Who er, er, is, is real estate? Screw it, who are real estate? They're a decently popular indie rock band from Ridgewood, New Jersey, the garbage <clears throat> garden state. They released their eponymous first album in 2009, followed by Days in 2011, and Atlas in 2014. Which, as it occurs to me now, makes this a pretty old album for me to be reviewing. Oh well, it's not like I could have found a friggin' Thanksgiving-themed album to review this week. This'll have to do. The band has been received relatively well by critics as far as I can tell, but nothing over the top in terms of praise. I had never heard of them before now, so maybe that'll tell you something about their popularity. At any rate, here we are now with Atlas, and it's... Well, I'd say it's something, but that might be an overstatement. Before I rag on them mercilessly for things I disliked, I'll go ahead and try to talk about all of the things this album does well. First off, it has really nice production value. Not to say it's unexpected, as the band is signed to a record label and this is their third album, but it's definitely not to be ignored. The album has one single, called Talking Backwards, and it's definitely the best choice for a single. It has the most intricacy and appeal of any song on there. 
The guitar work on this album is fairly impressive. They've really nailed down that clean, smooth sound that echoes in the background and foreground at the same time. To achieve that took competent layering and songwriting, so hats off in that regard. Speaking of songwriting, that's another thing the band does moderately well. There's a good amount of musical complexity here. The lyrical work isn't interesting if easy to miss, the lyrical flow is great, the sound is cohesive and blends well, and the band as a whole has a certain element of uniqueness. The general sound of the album is warm and of course relaxing like a slightly rainy summer night. Not one of those gross, slightly drizzly nights, or like when the clouds open up and start pouring on you and you're like, Oh my god, the one day I forget my umbrella! And then you grab a copy or five of the technician to shield yourself with as you get honked at while trying to cross the road as quickly as possible to get home because, hey, you idiots, it's raining and I don't want to get hypothermia. No, this is a nice summer night. So yeah, great atmosphere. Now with that said, I didn't like this album much at all. Sure, sure, it's competent, it's melodic, it's relaxing, and it's incredibly smooth. All of the good things in this album are present in the first song, and the second song, and the third, and the fourth. Oh, and would you look at that there in the fifth, too. Catching a pattern? Yep, that's right. Pretty much every song on here is exactly the same. Change the effects on the guitar, rearrange the layering a bit, swap out the lyrics, boom, there you have it. The next song, and every song after that. After the fourth song, I was mercilessly bored. Now, keep in mind, I have to listen to these albums pretty closely and in an intimate setting without much else going on. So it's not exactly fair for the casual listener to come away from this review thinking that the album is worthless just because I can't listen to it with my eyes shut while thinking about nothing else without being bored. I don't think this is a bad album at all. I just don't think that it innovates or that each song on the album differentiates itself very much. This album is perfectly fine for plenty of purposes, just not one-on-one -on -one soul time or artistic innovation. Look, here, here's a list of all the things this album could be good for. Casual listening, background music, party music, playlist filler, fall asleep music, study music, anything where you're not paying super close attention to it. There you have it. It's not bad. I just find it really, really boring and exactly the same from one song to the next with the only thing to draw me in being its atmosphere. I'm sorry, Tyler, please don't hate me for this. So with all that said and done, I'll go ahead and move on to final ratings. On a scale of negative two to seven, I give this album a two. Positive two. Basically, smack dab average. But hey, at least it's distinct from half the crap out there. Oof. I hate being this negative for a requested album. But I really did not care for this one much. Sorry again, Tyler. For those of you that are interested, though, or if you just really love that smooth, light indie rock, the band is Real Estate, and the album, once again, is Atlas. You can find it on Spotify and wherever else it is that you usually find music, probably. I don't know why I even bother telling people where to find these. If you didn't already know, I doubt you'd even be listening to this show. Once again, that's Atlas by Real Estate. As for me, I've been Nick, although I'm also known as Lens, Meerkat, Klesk, or just that dude who can't dress himself properly in public. I'm less fond of that last one. As always, you can send in review requests by emailing publicaffairs at wknc.org and including review request in the subject line. I'll get around to it as soon as I can. That's all for today. Thanks again for listening in, and I'll speak to you all again next time. Good afternoon.
afternoon to you listeners out there. I'm Peter Swazeni bringing you this week's community calendar, an eye on the triangle segment informing you of cool events occurring on campus or around the Raleigh-Durham area. First and foremost, happy early Thanksgiving to everybody out there. Hope you are traveling safe if you're leaving town, but if you're sticking around, I'll try to cover what's going on in Raleigh or on campus for that matter. So there will be no class from Wednesday to Friday, which means I'll be picking up on next week's events starting Monday when the students are back in class. However, I do know NC State will be playing Winthorpe in basketball this Friday, 7 p.m. at PNC Arena. We will also be having a football game against UNC this Saturday at 3.30 at Carter-Finley Stadium. That's what I have for this Thanksgiving break. So looking on to next week, this upcoming Monday will be an event titled Stop Juggling Elephants, The Solution to Your Stressful Semester. This will be taking place in the Tally Student Center, Stewart Theater. Has this semester been a dream or a nightmare? Do you wish you could just hit reset and start over? If you're ready for a better way, you can join author Jones Lawfin, who offers a humorous and insightful solution that involves lions, elephants, and people wearing tights. Admission is open to all. Again, this will be taking place Monday, 6 p.m. at Tally Student Center in the Stewart Theater. Next Wednesday, December 2nd, from 6 to 8, Witherspoon Student Center will be hosting a Kwanzaa celebration. Here you can go and celebrate and learn about the history and traditions of Kwanzaa. This will be in Witherspoon Student Center, room 126, from 6 to 8 p.m., and next Thursday, December 3rd, the Moho Architectural Movie Series will be having their holiday Starkitecture double feature. The screenings will include Xmas Mirror, a working class Rome town is lifted from anonymity to internationally renowned from a church built by Richard Mirror. The other film will be Gentry's Vertigo, through the portrait of the climbing team in charge of the glass cleaning of the roofs of the world's famous Guggenheim Museum in Bilboa. This film observes the good and not-so-good complexity of Frank Gentry's architecture. These screenings will be at the Hunt Library. The doors open for this Moho architectural movie series at 7 p.m. Tickets are $10 at the door. Cash, check, credit, debit are accepted. Mod Squad members get in free until capacity is reached. The first 100 NCSU students with ID get in free. NCSU Friends of the Library get 10% off ticket prices. The Moho Architectural Movie Series is co-presented by North Carolina Modernist Houses. And for more information, you can visit ncmodernist.org slash movies. And with that, I conclude this week's community calendar. I am Peter Swazeni. Wishing you all a happy Thanksgiving. Suzanne Nelson at the entrance to her 300-acre farm, Haw River Ranch. There are a few tractors stored in a barn and a long, winding dirt road that leads to the rest of the farm. We pile up into her golf cart and start heading towards the animals. 
There's forest on either side, interrupted only by a compost pile as big as three round bales of hay. I'm going to dump this compost. So there's water from all the rain. I tried to not... It's late afternoon, and the sun is just starting to set. By the time we leave, it's dusk. Eventually, we get to the animals, stopping first at the cows. These are my girls. Okay, can... Anne and Genesis and Iris and Sadie, Claire, Dina, Caleb, Daffy, Katie, George, <laughs> Annabelle, Dub, Dot. We have about 25 Mama Jersey cows, about 60 or 70 St. Croix ewes. Those are sheep. Um, and then all their babies and the rams. We have about 350 Rhode Island Red Lane hens. We raised... A couple, well, call it 700 meat birds this year, chickens, and then we raised about 30-some hogs this year. So we're bringing 42 turkeys to the harvest table, and they get moved to fresh grass every other day. And so we set up this portable mobile electric netting into a new spot of grass, and turkeys are tremendously good grazers more than other poultry they will consume up to 40 percent of their diet as grass and bugs and forbs cows of course are the most famous livestock for their ability to convert grass into something useful meat and milk turkeys are actually really good at it too they're much more prodigious grazers than chickens are and i think that's one of the reasons why a pastured turkey is such a different experience than a grocery store bird i mean a pastured chicken is also a lightened night and day different experience than a grocery store chicken but the turkeys are exponentially that much more of a wow experience like once people have one of these turkeys they never want to eat another turkey the white meat is not dry it is not flavorless it is moist and tender and delicious and full i mean just full of flavor they walk around they use their muscles and that gives their muscles flavor but that grass provides a huge amount of omega-3 fatty acids, which cooks very differently than omega-6 fatty acids. So the, the fat profile in these birds are very different than their grocery store counterparts. They also live a really good life. You can see how happy they are. And yeah, they're tweeting their, their happy little turkey song. Turkeys are very different than chickens. They're much more curious than chickens are. They're much more flock-oriented. Chickens kind of are independent thinkers. Turkeys are not independent thinkers. A lot of people think that turkeys are stupid. I think that turkeys just have a different kind of intelligence than chickens do. In fact, we use the chickens and the brooder as a way of teaching the turkeys how to find food and water because the turkeys are followers. They will follow each other off a cliff, kind of like sheep will. I mean, they're really easy to get back in their fence if they get out. You just kind of, we just herd them up and fall, they follow us for a bucket and they march right back in their fence. You could never get chickens in like that. I mean, they would just never participate in that sort of orderly activity and it's very difficult to take a picture of a turkey because they're so curious they get so close to the camera that you can't focus um, <laughs> so there's all those ones up there with fluffed up feathers or toms and you can see they're they're getting excited and so see that the thing on their nose is growing and they're they're you know getting ready to show off for their mates i had uh some photographers and writers from Martha Stewart magazine came out to my farm a few years ago and they wanted to get a picture of their turkey. I had a very fantastically beautiful bourbon red turkey, a heritage bird. And so these people from Martha Stewart were really funny because they were trying to get my Tom turkey, whose name was Tom, to fluff up. And they 
And they were like, come on. I remember this one guy saying to him, come on, Tom. If you just do this, you can be on the cover of Martha Stewart, man. And the turkey just looked at him, and I just looked at him, and, and I realized how disconnected these New York photographers were from farm life. But, but also the what's really interesting about this fluffing up is it's a mixture of relaxation and arousal. You, They won't do it if they're really afraid, and they won't do it if they're super relaxed. They do it when they think that there's another you know, a male turkey around or they're trying to impress their females. In this case, they all fluffed up because they heard that dog barking. My tom turkey used to do it in the driveway in the chrome bumper of my truck. He would just walk back and forth across the chrome bumper all day long and just look at himself and fluff himself up and just look like, I am amazing, and who are you? And he was looking at... That's right, birds. I just enjoy them so much. I'm always kind of sad the day that we process them. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of happy, too, because it marks the end of the growing season for us and a time when we start to breathe a little bit more and work a little bit less. But they're really neat animals, and um, they're fun to have around. So we harvest them on the farm under the what's known as the USDA exemption, and so that means we can process the birds of our own raising on the farm and sell them directly to consumers. And so the process is we bring a trailer down and gather them all up, and then we harvest them one at a time by cutting both of their carotid arteries So they're upside down when we do that. A bird is sort of hypnotized when they're upside down. They're a little less aware. And the goal is to do it with such a sharp knife that they, it feels like a, you know, when you get a paper cut, you realize you're bleeding before you really experience pain. Mm -hmm. So in this case, we've cut both of their carotid arteries in such a way that they pass out. They lose, you know, like all the, they kind of lose enough blood volume that they get lightheaded and then they, their heart continues to pump because we haven't severed their spinal cord. And we also are careful not to sever their windpipe. And that's because we don't want them to gasp for air and panic. We want them to sort of just pass out and die. The whole process takes about 30 seconds. And they're unconscious about halfway through that. And turkeys take longer to bleed out than chickens because they have so much blood volume. And then we scald them at about 147 degrees to remove the surface tension that holds their feathers Then we put them through a plucker, and then they come out on the table. We eviscerate them. That's gutting them. Take off their heads and feet, and we compost all the feathers and the the insides. And what's left is a bird that ends up on people's tables. And for Suzanne, the processing isn't the biggest challenge. I guess the biggest challenge is that that it's all the time. You know, there's... And invariably, the cow is has her calf during your daughter's birthday party or you know if an animal's going to die it always seems to want to die on like labor day or sometime when you're you know the one time when you thought you could knock off early and so that part of it i think it's very difficult to find times to rest and even when you have the time to rest it sometimes it's difficult to find the discipline to do it because there's so many things you see that need done and a lot of things needed to be done yesterday i've been farming for about seven years, first as a homesteader, um, and then I started marketing some things on a small scale. Mm-hmm. And I would say I've been doing it at this scale for about four or five years. What did you do before? I was a journalist in Washington, D.C. I wrote about money and politics and sort of interbranch squabbling. I just ended up here, I guess, by fate and happenstance, and I found this little community of Saxbaha, and I fell in love with the idea that agriculture could be a regenerative concept and I could live in a community of people who really wanted food to be a central part of a rebirth. Mm-hmm. 
of a of a community. I really want people to understand that that agriculture can be the way in which we heal the earth, our communities, and ourselves. That we have a choice in how we eat, and we can do so in a way that is reverent, that brings beauty, that brings wholeness. For Suzanne, Thanksgiving is a perfect example of food as a central part of your community. It's really a celebratory meal, and that's what Thanksgiving was all about. This is a bird of gratitude, and there were people, some of our early founders, including Benjamin Franklin, wanted to make it the national bird because they thought turkeys were so interesting. And it's a, it's really a, 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 a bird of celebration, and so I'm honored to provide this to families as their way of celebrating with their family. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Mirtha Donestorg. I'd like to thank Mirtha Donastorg, Peter Svizini, Jake Winters, Saif Hassan, Nick Weaver, Nikita Chandalupani, John Balaban, Adam Clark of World Relief Durham, Sarah Alma Franchi, and Suzanne Nelson of the Haw River Ranch. As always, if you've heard anything you've liked, you've hated, or anything that made you think, let us know and tweet us at WKNC underscore EOT, where you can also catch up on more local news. And be sure to check out our blog at blog.wknc.org where you can also download our podcast. Indie Rock with Cat Planet and Curly Temple is up next at 6, and you can catch another episode of Eye on the Triangle next week right here on WKNC. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Ian Grice, and have a happy Thanksgiving.